0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Toowoomba Vineyard Church podcast. We are a brand new church here in Toowoomba, Queensland, and we are discovering the joy of following Jesus together. If you want to find out more about what we're up to, stick around at the end for the details. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message. I want to start by sharing with you one of my favourite things on the internet. Uh, and I promise you it'll be relevant, but you don't need to worry about that yet. Um, it's called, it's this Instagram account called Subpar Parks. And the premise of Subpar Parks is that it's this girl who's an illustrator, and she takes one-star reviews that people have posted about, like, natural wonders, um, so mostly uh, parks, national parks in the US. She, she does these beautiful illustrations and then posts them alongside the words from these one-star reviews. So I'm going to show you a few examples ugliest place I've ever seen death valley national park does anyone know what death valley national park actually looks like it's like quite expansive but it's absolutely stunning like it's the most incredible landscape anyway um they keep getting better too uh north cascades national park too many mountains trees snow (laughs) etc you think that's why you go there, right? Like, surely you would have realized ahead of time that there were tree, mountains, trees, snow, et cetera. Anyway, uh, Yellowstone National Park, save yourself some money and boil some water at home. I mean, who needs to go to a hot spring in the most beautiful place in the world where you can just boil the kettle at home, right? I mean, the logic checks out. So um, some of the comments on these are pretty, um, pretty on point too, but I'll let you read them in your own time. Um, so she recently, she normally only does... The U.S. Uh, She recently did a few in New Zealand, Milford Sound. Has anyone been to Milford Sound? Would you describe the landscape as fine? (laughs) The landscape is fine. (laughs) All right. Next, we've got um, uh, Mount Cook, New Zealand. Unfortunately, pretty ugly. (laughs) I've I've been to Mount Cook, and it's anything but ugly. But anyway. There was no one except us. Now, you have to remember, these are one-star reviews, right? So, someone's obviously really upset that no one else was there uh, at Voyages National Park. If you like walking on an almost endless beach, this is the place. Again, it sounds like a positive, doesn't it? But this is part of a one-star review. Pacific Rim National Park. Um, Too orange, too spiky. (laughs) I, oh, you have? Is it too orange and too spiky? It, okay. I Okay. Fo- I looked at some photos, and I'm like, it looks amazing. <laughs> I want to know what this person's standard of orangeness is. You know, like, how orange is the right amount of orange? And how, how spiky is the right amount of spiky? Anyway, and this is my, this is my favorite one of all time. <laughs> Hawaii Volcanoes National Park <laughs> <laughs> didn't even get to touch lava. <laughs> you know, they, maybe they should have. <laughs> anyway, um, aside from the fact that these are hilarious, why am I sharing with these, uh, these with you? And I'd encourage you to go and follow them on Instagram if you're an Instagram person. I won't post the slides um, just for copyright reasons, but go and check these out because there's heaps more and they're just brilliant. Why am I talking about, or why have I shown you these subpar parks posters? Well, I think that they are a perfect uh, illustration of the fact that we as humans are really, really good at judging things. I think we're very good at judging things. Um, And I think it's really important that we talk. um, Oh, and, and before we go any further, I think it's really important to say, like, when we talk about judgment, we could mean all sorts of things, right? Like, you might, be, you might be at Baker's Duck and you're trying to judge between the different pastries. You know, you're like, the vanilla fold is a, a classic and we know we love it, but the margarita Danish looks pretty good too. So, you know, judge, judgment could mean choosing between the pastries at Baker's Duck. On the other extreme, it could mean a magistrate who's trying to decide whether to, someone, uh, to send someone to jail for life. You know, like there's a, a fairly wide range of things that we could mean when we're talking about judgment, but it basically, in its simplest form, it just means evaluating things or, or distinguishing between things. And I think it's really important that we talk about judgment. And the reason why, when I saw this passage, I'm like, you know what, actually we need to talk about this as part of this series is because, um, well, let me, let me illustrate it like this. If you've been around church for a while, is Jesus, would you describe him as um, gracious or as judgmental? Which one of those things best, best describes Jesus? Gracious. He's incredibly gracious. The whole message of the cross, of his death and resurrection, is that he is a God of grace. If you were to ask the average person on the street in Toowoomba um, whether, whether the church is gracious or judgmental, what do you think the answer would be? It's uncomfortable, isn't it, So think about that? Um... You know, this is, this is a topic, like, this is probably the passage we're about to do from Matthew 7. It's probably one of the best-known passages in Scripture from people who are outside the church. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing we talk about all, all the time in the church, and, you know, I, don't, I still don't think we get it right. And so I think it's such an important topic. And just to be clear, before we go any further, like, judgment in and of itself isn't a bad thing. You know, we just, we just, it, I think it's just part of how we navigate the world. Um, it, it's, it's part of how we distinguish between things. It's, it's part of how we work out what's good and what's bad for us. Um, but it's when we get judgment wrong that people get hurt. So let's see what Jesus has to say about judgment. If you've got a Bible handy, why don't you open up to Matthew chapter 7. This would be a good one to have out in front of you while we, while we chat. Now, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, just while you're finding it, most of the things that we've talked about have been about the heart. And Jesus is talking to us about our hearts. But it takes a real change here today. Uh, and, and the rest of the sermon is... Mo- Watch out for that coffee, Davy. Yeah, let's just... Let's not kick that over. Hello. Um, and so suddenly it's about our relationships. It's about the way we relate to each other. And so in terms of the flow of the sermon, this is really kind of a new thought compared to what Helen was chatting to us about last week. Uh, and so if you've got that open, Matthew chapter seven, we're going to read from one to five, which, yeah, we've got, oh, you're on the slides. Well done, Hannah. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. No, that's worship. Uh, here you go. We would love your feedback on our app, It doesn't say that in the Bible. Ask me later. It's not a good time. Uh, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's just really briefly recap for those of us who are like me and where scripture just goes kind of over your head in a public setting. Um, Verses one to two are very straightforward, aren't they? Like he doesn't, Jesus doesn't mint his words here. He says, don't judge effectively for the, the measure you use for the judgment that you pronounce on other people will be measured back to you. It's pretty, it, it means what it says. It's pretty simple. But then verses three to five are a little bit weird because there's this, there's this sort of conversation about specks of sawdust and planks, which is, a, it's just a bit weird, isn't it? Now, scholars, the people who get really nerdy about the Bible, they actually think this is one of the best examples of a joke in the Bible. Uh, like we, we, when I read it out to you, you're just a bit like, it's a bit of a weird image, but but this is the people in Jesus' day. They probably would have like thought, you know, Jesus is exaggerating here. You know, if you have a plank in your eye, you're probably not concerned about someone's sawdust. You're probably on your way to see Laura at hospital, right? Um, but anyway, so this, this effectively comes across as a joke. And so in terms of unpacking this passage, I want to start in verses 1 to 2. Now, I said already that, that these verses, they're quite directive, like they're quite concrete, aren't they? Um, Jesus doesn't mince his words. He says, do not judge. And we've already talked though about the fact that judgment can mean a lot of different things, right? You know, we've we've got the baker's duck example. We've got the magistrate in court example. We've got absolutely everything in between. So when Jesus says, do not judge, what exactly is he referring to here? Now, if you ever find yourself reading the Bible and you have a question like this, there's a few tools you have at your disposal to try and figure out what the scripture is saying. And the first and the best thing to do is to try and read the read the verse in context. See what happens beforehand. See what happens afterwards. Have a look at the flow of argument and the thought that's coming through the passage of scripture. Now, if we go back, uh, we have quite a different idea. I already said that this passage is kind of like a new thought for Jesus. So even though they're linked, I don't think um, the passage immediately before this one helps us understand the scope of judgment. If we read verses three to five, I think they help illuminate the point a little bit, but they don't necessarily tell us what the scope of judgment is here. I've got uh, on the next slide, it says, what does, yeah, there we go. So, so I don't think context is always useful, but I don't think in this case it answers the question at hand. Another tool that we have um, when we come across a passage and we want to figure out a bit more about exactly what it means is we can look at the original language. Turns out the Bible wasn't written in English. The NIV wasn't the original version of the Bible, as good as it might be. And, and so we can look at the original language and we can, we can see if there's some nuance that's missing in our English translation. Not because translations are bad, it's just that they don't, they can't. You can't perfectly translate, right? And if you go and you look at the word "judge" in the original Greek that Matthew's writing in, it basically means "judge." It, it has the the original word. It has this same question that we have, where the scope of it is really broad. And so, if we want to understand what Jesus is talking about, which situations. Um, Does does do not judge speak to? Which which situations doesn't it speak to? You know, does it speak to us at Baker's Duck trying to choose a pastry? Maybe. Um, To figure this out, I want to take us back to a very different part of the Bible, which you might initially think has absolutely nothing to do with this passage, but it turns out the the link here, Helen called it a hyperlink, which I really like. The hyperlink is really cool. So uh, if you've got a paper Bible, turn it to the first page, and then go to the next one after that. So we're going to Genesis chapter 2. Um, and while you're on your way there, this is this is really interesting. So at the beginning of the Bible, we actually get two creation stories. One of them is a poem. One of them reads like narrative. They're actually quite different. And when you read through it in your Bible, you assume that it's just one author who started writing and just kept going. But the first one we get, the in the beginning, God said, let there be light. That's sort of like... I like to think of that kind of like the theme song of the Bible. It's like the opening, opening song that's at the start. And then at the end of the theme song, it kind of flips into narrative, which is why some of the details might seem slightly different. But anyway, that's just a bit of background for you. Uh, we're going to read Genesis 2, and we're just going to take two little chunks. So from verse 5, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain to the earth, And there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. It's pretty epic, right? Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we'll skip down a little bit. I encourage you to read the whole thing later, but from 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, You will certainly die. The story goes on. Um, You might be familiar with it. Maybe you're not. Um, But God then goes on to create a woman. Uh, He says it's not good for man to be alone. And and they're in the garden together. Um, They take their place in the garden. They work the land. Life is good. We don't have a sense um, of how long the man and the woman were in the garden before things start to come undone. You know, it might have been quite a long time. It might have been the next day. We just, we don't know. But I kind of imagine like, like God's created this beautiful creation. He's put the man and the woman in the best part. And he said, this is yours to enjoy. This is your garden to work. Enjoy it. Um, but then a serpent comes along, the most crafty of all the beings, as the Bible says. Uh, long And to cut a long story short, The serpent convinces the people to eat from the one tree that God said that they couldn't eat from, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, They get cast out of the garden and the whole world falls to pieces. When you put it like that, it's kind of a crazy story, isn't it? But the question that I have for us is what's with the trees? There's these two trees. There's the tree of life, which, you know, you're in the garden of Eden. Of course, there's going to be a tree of life, like... And they can eat as much as they want from the tree of life. The implication in the text is that they effectively have eternal life because they can eat from this tree of life. But then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's with that? Like, what a random tree to put in the garden. You know, why has God... Why wouldn't... You know, isn't the knowledge of good and evil a good thing? Like, we're trying to teach little Davy. he's three, and we're trying to teach him to distinguish between things that are good, like eating his breakfast, and things that are bad, like kicking the dog. And so, you know, isn't, wouldn't it be a good thing for them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Why has God prohibited that? Here's what I think is going on. I think that the trees are representative. Whether they were literal trees in a literal garden or not, that's not what I'm talking about. But for our Kate. Our for our um, circumstance that we're trying to, or our passage we're trying to unpack, I think the trees are representative. You know, God has put these human, he's created this incredible creation, like read through chapter one, this incredible place that God has put together. Humanity is the crown of that creation. You know, God creates humanity in his image. He gives them this mandate to rule over all of the creation under him. And he puts these two trees in the garden. He says, the only thing I need you to not do is to eat from that tree. All, 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 all the riches of this whole creation are yours to enjoy. But there's just one thing I ask, which is you don't eat from this tree. And I think that tree represents God's right to choose what's right and wrong. And so when the humans eat from the tree, what's effectively happening is they're putting themselves in the place of God and saying, you know what? We actually want to decide whether this is good for us or not. We want to be the ones to to call the shots on what's good and what's evil, what's right for creation and what's wrong for creation, what's good for us and what's bad for us. We want to make that call instead. Now, there are so many different ways you can interpret this right. So this is just my interpretation. But when when we have that understanding and we come back to the passage in Matthew, it starts to mean something quite specific, doesn't it? You know, I I really believe that the starting place of all human brokenness, like where it all comes from, is this idea that we know better than God. This belief that we should be the ones to call the shots on what's good and bad for us, not God. And so coming back to Matthew 7, you know, you're in this situation where you're judging someone and God says, and Jesus is saying, you know, that person that you're judging right now, that person that you're speaking to, God knows their heart. He knows their backstory. He knows their reasons. He knows their motivations, their intentions, their brokenness, their history, their trauma. God knows all of that and you don't. So don't stand in the place of God and judge someone as if you were God. So what are we going to define judgment as? Well, I think judgment is when we assume we can stand in the place of God over someone's life. And it sounds full on, but I actually think we do this all the time. It's so deeply ingrained in our brokenness. Like I said, I feel like this is the starting place for all human brokenness. And I think we do it all the time. And I think our posters from Subpar Parks, they just illustrate it perfectly, don't they? You know, we're just like we just can't help ourselves but pronounce judgment on people, things, the most beautiful places on planet Earth, people still give them one star reviews. Now, this is really big. This is like a really big idea here. And thankfully, that's not where... He doesn't just drop that bombshell and move on to the next topic. He actually gives us a little bit of extra scripture to help us understand what he's talking about and how to apply it. So I want to unpack this um, sawdust and planks thing. And I've got a really helpful visual that I think will... There you go. (laughs) I couldn't find the source of this. I'm usually big on putting the source on. I actually couldn't find who drew this. So... um, Whoever you are, thank you for beautifully illustrating this for us. So what do we do with this whole sawdust and plank, illustrate this, this kind of joke that Jesus gives us? What do we do with that? Well, I want to give you the worst possible interpretation of it first. Uh, and the worst interpretation is to think that it means that you can never correct, rebuke, criticize or provide feedback to anyone. You know, it's this, it's this notion of like, Everyone's got their issues. We've all got our stuff. So don't ever criticize anyone else. Just focus on yourself and then everything will be fine. I don't think that's what's happening here at all. And it's not so much that people turn that into their theology. It's more in practice. People use this passage, this whole like sawdust and plank thing, almost like a get out of jail free card in in arguments. You know what I mean? Like you get into some conflict and then, you know... I don't like conflict, so I'm just going to put up the wall. Look, deal with your plank in your eye before you take out my sword. End of conversation. You know what I mean? People do that all the time. The reality is that conflict happens. And in in the church, I think conflict probably even happens more than it happens outside of the church because we're a community and a family of people who are trying to live authentically with each other. Like, when you do commit to doing life for a long time with people, you start to see the cracks appear, don't you? You see what people are like, you know, before they've had coffee in the morning. You know, it's, it's bad. Like, Jen's seen what I'm like before coffee. That's why we have a coffee machine. I can get it straight away. <laughs> Um, but conflict is a reality and there are, there are passages all throughout the Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Even two chapters earlier, Matthew 5, there's a whole beautiful section where Jesus talks about how to navigate conflict uh, with the people that we care about. And so interpreting this passage as like a, a, you know, a wall against conflict, is just, it's just bad reading of the Bible. So can we not do that? Can we not use this passage in that way together? I think it is just worth saying that um, at this point, that conflict, learning how to navigate conflict is something that we, Jen and I, really want to do as a church very well. At Northridge, where we were before uh, we moved up here, we actually did, like, we had a training day on conflict resolution because, you know, so many of the the disagreements and arguments and, and breakdown that happens in churches happens when people don't know how to navigate conflict well. When people don't know how to bring feedback in a way that's helpful. And instead of, you know, instead of bringing it out, working through it, it just kind of simmers there. And, and conflict that starts small, untouched, can just grow into an absolute monster. Um, and you know, that's, that's something we could do here if there was interest. Like, let us know if you're interested in doing this conflict resolution training. We can, we can bring someone up here and we can do that. But honestly, the, the cultural impact that had in Northridge was huge. And we want that for this church as well. We want to be people who take, who recognize that conflict. I mean, conflict's never great, is it? Like I just, I'm not a huge fan, but I've seen what happens when you navigate it well, is rather than tearing people down relationships, it actually builds them up and strengthens them. So anyway, so coming back to the passage, that's not how, that's not what we're doing with this. I actually think the key to getting this section of scripture right is sort of looking past the whole plank and sawdust thing and recognising that it's important that it's the eyes. It's really like, you know, Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about the the speck of sawdust on someone's shirt when you've got a great big stain on your shirt. It's not about shirts. It's not about, you know, don't uh, complain about someone's messy hair when yours is a bird's nest. You know, it's not about that. It's about the eyes. And I think that's really important. Because... When you have a plank in your eye, I mean like I said, go to hospital if you have a plank in your eye. But when you have a plank in your eye, what does it do? It stops you from seeing. And so when you're in this situation where you disagree with someone, when you want to fix someone's actions because you see them and you're like, that's not good. That sawdust in you, not good. We need to recognize that a lot of the time we actually can't see the whole picture. Picture yourself in a conversation with someone who thinks very differently from you. Maybe they have a a very different opinion on on theology or maybe they live a lifestyle that you just really don't agree with. Um, maybe Maybe they have a philosophy that just rubs you up the wrong way. Maybe they vote for the other political party than yours. You know, a lot of the time in these kind of conversations, our natural reaction, like the way that we just assume we're supposed to have A conversation is to like try and prove your point or defend your political party or defend your theology or correct someone so that they can see the real truth, which is obviously what you believe. A natural reaction is to defend uh, or to criticize, whereas I want to give us another option. And everything I've said, uh, everything I've said today, just if there's one thing you walk home with, it's this simple practical tool which is when you, when you find yourself wanting to criticise, instead, ask questions. Instead, ask questions. Jesus says the first thing you need to do in this situation is take the plank out of your eye. What, what does that translate to? What does that metaphor mean? It, see the whole picture. Try and get the whole picture. Try and understand what's going on before you try and deal with the situation. You know the most compelling people I've met in my life are not the people that have all of the answers, that have the best arguments, that have you know the, the you know the best ability to deal to tell people what to do. The, be, the most compelling people I've ever met are the people who ask great questions. Have you ever met someone like that? You know they you sit down, you meet them, and they just they just have the you know the right questions to ask, and you end up in these great conversations, like. Is anyone, have anyone had that experience? Like I just, I remember a few people specifically who just ask the best questions and you end up having these great conversations and you get to share about yourself and you get to, you know, you you feel heard and seen and it builds trust, doesn't it? And they're the people that more often than not end up actually making a difference in your life. There's this sensational saying uh, that a really good friend of mine taught me that's almost like a mantra for Jen and I in our ministry. And the saying is, the thing is never the thing. Has anyone else heard that one? The thing is ne- When people come to you with their issues, with their arguments, with their prickliness, when people come to you with that, it's, it's so easy to jump on the thing that's right in front of you, isn't it? But then when you start to ask questions, you realize, oh, it's not really about that at all. It's actually something else altogether. And if we talk about that thing... Then we can build relationship rather than tear it down. I had this wonderful conversation with a friend of mine uh, a, a few days ago. We've, Jen and I have loved coming into Warmore and getting to know lots of people, both in and out of the church. It's just been our joy. And I, I sat down for a, a, a conversation with this guy, and I was—he was just, you know, how's, how's your week been? What, what have you been up to? And I said, oh, you know, da da da, church. Church has been so bad. The people at church are just. Oh. No, that wasn't. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Um, that was low-hanging fruit, sorry. Uh, no, we love you guys so much. But anyway, so this conversation, uh, yeah, how are you going, church? So he's like, what's this church you're talking about? I'm like, how, how have I not told you about this? But anyway, I said, oh, you know, Jen and I, we've, we've started this church. Like, it's pretty much the reason we moved to Toowoomba. And he's like, oh, well, I'm an atheist. I'm like, oh, okay. And so you're at this decision point, right? You go, you know... I, you might say, oh, okay, well, you're an atheist. Obviously, you spend a lot of time thinking about reasons why Christianity is ridiculous. So what's your, what's your objection? Give me your best objection and I'll debunk it because I have the Holy Spirit and I've, I've got the words ready to say. So you can do that, and people often do. The other option is you can ask questions. And so what I did is I said, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, you've obviously, you know, I like people who think a lot about big questions, I said, you know, what led you to be an atheist? And he didn't give me his best arguments against Christianity or anything. He just said, well, I grew up going to this boarding school. And honestly, it was a, it was a Christian boarding school. And honestly, I had a really terrible experience. I said, oh, can you be comfortable sharing more about that? And he just told me about this, this really hard experience having Christianity just absolutely shoved down his throat in the most, most awful way. And it just broke my heart, and I was able to look him in the eye and just say, mate, I'm so sorry. As someone who, who loves Jesus and someone in a position of authority in a church, I'm just so sorry that you had that experience. And it was such a moving moment. You know, I mean, he's, he was still very prickly about the whole thing, but it just, it just totally softened the whole conversation. And, and you know what I said before? The thing is never the thing. And so when you, you have these moments, ask questions. There's a, a phrase that would almost be like if we had a tagline under our logo. This is almost what I would use for our tagline. There's this phrase that just absolutely nails it for me. It's um, "be curious, not judgmental." I've got a slide for that. Any any Ted Lasso fans here? Yes. Awesome. You guys are with me. Everyone else, Ted. La- I shouldn't, as a pastor, I probably shouldn't formally recommend you to watch Ted Lasso because in some ways it's very, very loose. But it's, it's so heartwarming. Anyway, um, but it's a line that comes out in, in that show in a very poignant moment. It's very beautiful. But if, if I just think about the state of the church and the relationship that we have with our society, and, you know, I, we did that little thought exercise before, which word describes Jesus, which word describes church? And the, the world outside of this building basically thinks that we're just a bunch of judgmental jerks, really, And it breaks my heart because I love the church so much. Like, there's a reason we moved 10 hours north. We said goodbye to our friends and family. It's because I really believe in the church. And you know what? We we have to stick to our theological convictions, right? Like, I'm not saying we throw them out the window. We compromise on who we are. But we need to do a better job of relating to our society. And I think if we did this, I think that the story would be very different. You know, part of... My heart, Part of what would define success for, for me, for this church, is if we can change the story in Toowoomba of how our city sees the church. You know, we're a city of churches. We're famously very well churched. Um, and I was sitting down uh, with one of the guys from, from Toowoomba Council for a coffee last week. And I said, if the church could do better in one area in our city, what would, what would it be? And he said, you guys have just got to stop fighting with each other and get on and and like make an impact on the city. And I just I was like and this he's a Christian guy as well so you know and I was just like yeah I I think you're right like when people see us they see people who just want to who just want to be right all the time. And I wonder if I wonder I mean I think we should start doing this as individuals like when when conflict comes up when that moment of the option of judgment comes up choose to ask questions instead but I wonder what it would look like to do that as the church as well. How do we as a church engage with our society in a way that that doesn't build up walls, but actually breaks them down instead? I've completely gone off my notes. That's very exciting. <laughs> I think that's probably all I need to say on that. The The last little thought, which I just felt like God put on my heart during worship is, you know, it's very, very easy for us to damage each other. Like if you, if you want to have a real, if, if we as Christians want to represent Christ to the world, we form relationships with people because that's where, it, where the, the stuff happens, right? It's in relationship. And if we, it's really easy as Christians to put people off. To to cause damage, to, to hurt people. Like it, it happens so often in the church. And unfortunately in Toowoomba, there's so much, um, there's so, that's such a part of our, our the story of the church in our city is people being hurt. And a lot of the time it comes when we do the opposite of this, when we choose to judge uh, instead of be gracious. You know, the measure that Jesus uses when he looks at us is grace. The measure he, you know, in the passage, it talks about the measure you use will be used against you. Jesus' measure is grace. And I feel like we need to learn how to use the measure of grace a lot more. And unfortunately, because we've done a bad job of that, we just, we just end up in this situation where because of this, uh, well, because we don't do this, lots of people get hurt. And so I just, I didn't want to finish this talk without acknowledging that I, I'm sure there are people here who have been on the wrong end of, of judgment from pastors, from friends, from family, from whoever. Like, I think there are some of us sitting here who have just absolutely got the raw end of this. And so I just want to use this um, this morning as a chance to just bring a small amount of healing into that and just acknowledge that we should have done better. So can I, with that thought, that happy thought, can I invite us all to stand? And I just want to pray a prayer, I guess, partly of repentance um, as the church, the way we've hurt people, but also just a prayer to invite God's spirit to come and start to bring healing into these places. Well, Holy Spirit, we just invite you. to come. Wow, you made it to the end. Good job. If you want to listen to more of our messages, just search out Toowoomba Vineyard Church wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also check out our website at tvc.org.au and find us on Insta at Toowoomba Vineyard. We'll chuck those links in the notes so you don't have to remember. That's all for now and hope you have an excellent week.